This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. I don't know about y'all. I'm late, but I'm really excited that October 31st is gone and November 1st has rolled around. My Christmas tree's not up. It should be. And I'm behind that it's not. But I'm really excited that we enter into the holiday season. And I'll say holiday because I'm not going to get to Christmas yet because I'm going to combine Thanksgiving and Christmas together to say the holiday season. I'm not anti-Christmas. It's not like that. I'm just saying there's this Facebook war going on between a couple young people in our state, and they're having this huge discussion about whether we should start celebrating Christmas before we get to Thanksgiving or do we have to wait till after Thanksgiving. Well, here's my ordeal. First of all, Thanksgiving should be a year-round celebration, Right? Our life should be a life of thanksgiving, and thanksgiving is not a a moment that we find anywhere in Scripture other than the fact we live this thankful of life and everything be thankful, but we can pinpoint the event, the season of Christmas, right? So for me, I celebrate Christmas, but thanksgiving is a part of Christmas. I'm not going to skip thanksgiving. I'm going to have a meal, and I'm going to enjoy being with family. I'm going to eat myself sick of turkey, just like you are, but... It's going to be part of the Christmas season for me. It's the entrance into Christmas season. So don't judge me. My Christmas tree should be up at some point in time real soon. Um, Anyway, I'm excited, though. It's cool outside. It feels good. And it feels like we're entering into that season, right? So uh, as I really tried to to pray and seek God on what direction we should kind of take our conversations over the next few weeks, the idea of contentment kind of came to my heart and the idea really of thanksgiving and to be thankful what it means to be thankful we're entering into uh we will enter into the christmas season and we'll get there Uh, i want you to be preparing your heart last year we received a sow offering and we allowed um, ourselves to pour into the ministry of god and to pour into what god was doing And I told you that we weren't calling it a seed offering because I don't believe that it's the seed itself that was going to make the difference. What actually is taking place is the act of the sowing that encourages your faith and strengthens your faith and makes a difference in your life, right? As disciples, it's a discipline for us to give, and we give our tithe, and then we give our offering. And so the concept of giving and giving ourselves the act of sowing, the act of doing something encourages us, and it increases our faith and builds ourselves. So we don't call it a seed offering because realistically, God doesn't need our money. Amen? I mean, we got to keep the lights on and we need to do this, but realistically, if God didn't see fit for the lights to stay on in this house, he doesn't need our money. Right? So it's not about the seed. It's not about the money itself. It's the act and the, the seeking God for his will and the direction of how he would encourage us to give. And so he gave us the greatest gift And so just like we did last year, around Christmas, right around the end of December, all throughout December, we're going to be receiving that. But 
uh, it will be a special offering toward the end where we give our best gift as well. So this thought process, I said all that to say, this idea of the content life is leading us to that point. It's getting us in the mindset where we're thinking about what it's like to appreciate the goodness of God, the blessings of God, uh, to have a thankful heart throughout every day, not just on uh, that Thursday in November where we get to sit down and celebrate, eat ourselves sick and repent because we ate too much. Uh, but it's more about living a life of uh, living a life of thankfulness. Amen. So you know the stories here in Luke chapter 15. Starts off, Jesus is explaining, first of all, the Pharisees and the scribes have got an issue with Jesus because he's hanging out with the sinners. How do sinners become Christians if Christians don't hang out with sinners? How does light go into darkness and turn darkness into light if light doesn't pierce the darkness? It's not possible. And the idea that the religious side of these people, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders were so sanctified and holy, they were so dignified that it was just beyond their understanding, mind-blowing to them, that who was supposed to be their savior would actually go and sit down and share a meal, or he would actually go and spend any time whatsoever with somebody that didn't look, act, or smell, or talk like they did. But it does, it's not possible whatsoever for Christian people to grow the kingdom of God without going outside of the kingdom to bring people back in. It's impossible. It doesn't work. We've started live streaming our services. And if you, have, if you haven't seen it, you can find them on YouTube or on Facebook. Our goal, realistically, I hope if you're out one day, you get to watch it. Uh, I hope one day that if you miss something, you don't need to miss church. But if you do, you can go back and catch up. But it's not to give you some awesome little platter of, hey, I can sit at home and watch the church service. That's not the goal at all. The goal is, is that if anybody whatsoever outside of the kingdom of God sees this message today and they're touched, they're impacted in some way, I hope that somebody sits in their car watching this YouTube video and they come to know Jesus through what was taking place. That's the goal. It, it took us a while to get it going and it took us, it's aggravating. And Brother Sammy has been extremely patient and he's doing a fantastic job making, things, uh, making sure things are running back there, making sure they're smooth. It was really difficult, and I believe that it was difficult to get to the place that we're at because it will make a difference. And our heart behind it was not to serve you a worship service on a platter, on a screen at home, so you could sit at home and not come to church. The goal is that you have somebody somewhere where you can say, listen, I believe that this will make a difference in your life, and I just want to share this with you. And somebody outside of the kingdom, because we, being in the kingdom, go out, our message gets to go out, will bring somebody into the kingdom. If they never show up here, Lord bless them, that's great. The goal is, is that they join the kingdom of God, right? If we lose that thought process, we're useless. We might as well sit down. You are sitting down. We hadn't been sitting down as a body, though. As a church, we're, we're moving, we're doing different things. The fall festival, we weren't sitting down. If you were sitting down, Lord bless you. My feet hurt. But the Pharisees and scribes are mad at Jesus, and so Jesus goes into these series of conversations explaining. And the first thing he talks about is the lost sheep, and we talk about it, but maybe we don't internalize it. He said, if you, which man, which one of you guys, 
You have 99 sheep that are there chilling. You got 100 sheep. One leaves the flock, and you got 99 there in the in the fields, 99 in the woods. How many of you going to leave that those 99 sheep to go get that one and bring it back? And when you find that one sheep, the stupid sheep, right? I'm sorry. That's the truth. That was the sheep that didn't stay with everybody else. You're going to leave the 99 great uh, they're, they're, they're disciplined, they're staying together, they're well behaved, to go to the one black sheep that don't want to do nothing you ask them to do. But he said, wouldn't one of you here would go and leave these 99 a well-behaved sheep? You're going to go find that one. And when you find him, you're not going to beat him to death. What you're going to do is throw him on your back, you're going to love him, and you're going to bring him back and put him with everybody else. He said, and then... Which of you women, because he doesn't just pick on the men, he specifically switches and goes to the ladies. Which of you ladies, you've got 20 silver coins. He said, you lose one, you would turn the house upside down, you would turn the lamp on and burn the midnight oil to find the one that you lost, knowing that you still have 19 in your hand. I cannot stand to lose something. It drives me nuts. My car key to Micah's car is lost somewhere in her car. It has been for the last three or four weeks, and it is driving me crazy. Literally, there's times at night I lay in the bed, and I think, where in the world can that car key be in the car? I know it's in the car because the way that her car is made, if the key is inside the vehicle, you can crank it without, there's no key to put in the ignition. You just press a button and it cranks. So I can take her key that's in her purse and put it outside the car, get in and crank it. I know that key is in the car somewhere. And I feel like I've lost five or $600 because I can't find the stinking key. Note to self, never mind, I'm not saying that. This is going to YouTube. <laughs> that's the first time I've done that. I hate to lose stuff. And he says, which of you women wouldn't, if you lose one of your 20 coins, which of you are not going to go get the lamp, light it up, and go hunt and find that one? Sure you are. You lost something valuable to you. And then he goes on, and this is kind of where we're going today. He said, then there's a certain man that had two sons. This is starting in chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 11, I think. Brother Carter's got it on the screen. He said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And New King James kind of complicates that just a little bit. But what he really said is, hey, Daddy, I want my inheritance. I want what's going to fall to me. And what that means is when you die, whatever I'm supposed to get, whatever's falling down the line, would you go ahead and just give it to me? Can we go ahead and just act like you've died and you go ahead and give me what's mine? First of all, that mindset of it being mine is ridiculous in the first place. Right? What right does he have to ownership whatsoever at this point where, while, while daddy is still alive and well and kicking? None. 
the father's worked for his, his, his estate. He's worked for what he has. He's worked for his possessions. And here comes this little punk son, and he says, Hey, Daddy, give me what's mine. What I'm supposed to get when you die, I'm, re I'm ready to take everything you have. Do you realize? In order for him to divide his possessions between his two sons, that meant that the father was losing possession of everything. Right? He said, I want my inheritance. I want you to treat us like you have died. Meaning you give up everything and you're going to divide it and give it between me and the older brother. And this daddy was just awesome because it said uh, that he did it. Not many days, in verse 13, not many days after the younger son gathered all together, everything that he had, he got it all together. I think that the father probably had to have known the son's personality a little bit. But I think that there had to have been something in this. You think about it. Okay. I got all my possessions. I'll divide them. I'll split them. Maybe he'll hang around. He's not going nowhere to be just like they're still mine. I'm going to pass him on what's his. He's here. He's working. He's helping me. I don't really know that the father expected him a few days later to pack up everything he had and take off. It says that he journeyed afar. That means he left home and went away. He did not stay anywhere close by. He didn't stay anywhere within the realm. It says that he journeyed to a far country, not even the same place. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The word prodigal literally means wasteful. He wasted the possessions with wasteful living. There's nothing to show whatsoever now for the dad the, the father's possessions, the things that the father's worked so hard for, the things that he's built his life up for. His son said, all right, daddy, just treat it like you're dead. Give me what's mine. And now, now in a matter of moments, a few days later, he journeys off to this far country and he blows everything he's had. And he didn't invest it. He didn't buy cattle and start a cattle ranch somewhere. He, it says that he wasted it on a wasteful life. Wasted it. Gone. You ever blown some money and uh, look back and wish that you had it back, that you hadn't blown the money? Go to a restaurant and sit down and think, oh, this is going to be delicious. It's some fancy place and you're so excited. You know that food's going to do the same thing that your McDonald's cheeseburger is going to do after a while. You get done, you're like, man, we just spent $60, $80 on this meal, and it was not even worth it. And so here's where the son finds himself. Because not long after he's blown everything he has, the Bible says that a famine came. And now he's gone through, he, he didn't save, he didn't prepare. He was not prepared for anything that was about to come his way. What he had, he took it and blew it. And now he finds himself going to a citizen there of the, the country and needs a job. And so the guy says, well, fine, feed my pigs. Well, we look at this in context in this time period. This should have been a Jewish boy, right? The Jews hated pigs. When this little boy was a little boy and he was on daddy's farm... By culture, he would have not gone close to a pig. 
He wouldn't have touched, he would have had nothing whatsoever to do with a pig. But sin does some really, really messed up things to us. Because now the thing that he would have never touched, the thing that he would have never gotten close to, his sin, his lifestyle, where he's gone, he's wasted himself, he's wasted life, the sin that he's put himself into has now found himself feeding that thing he hated. Not only does he feed the thing he hated, but the Bible says that, that he was so hungry, he was so starved, he would have ate, ate the food that he literally had to give the pigs. He was willing to get in and lie down and wallow around in the pig pen. The thing that he would not touch now has consumed him. Sin really, really, really messes us up. And if we're not careful, discontentment allows us to give from a place where I would never touch that thing. I would never live that life. I would never get close to that thing. And now because of our discontentment, we've wasted everything that we are. And we find ourselves in a place where we have to lay down, lie down, and fight the thing that we hated. Now we're fighting it for survival. Some sin literally feels like we're fighting for our own survival and our flesh is raising up and we're literally fighting our flesh side and our spirit side, our flesh man and our spirit man. We're fighting inside of us. There's this battle. Which one's going to thrive? Which one's going to live? Discontentment has led him from a place. The thing that he once hated now is what he's having to fight for survival with. He lives like this for a little while. It's really interesting to me that verse 17 says, but when he came to himself. What do you mean when he came to himself? The New Living Translation said when he came to his senses. But when he came to himself, the boy was raised in his father's house. I love it when sermons work like this. The boy was raised in the father's house. He was identified by the father. Created by the father. He was made who he was. His character was defined by the father. Right? It's who he was. His discontentment, his lifestyle that he had lived, what he walked away from was no longer himself anymore. Who he was was still in the father's house. Who he was designed to be was still part of the father's life. He's walked away from that. But just because he left the father's house, just because he left what, what the father had created in him, what the father had designed, had built inside of his character, just because he left the father's house doesn't mean the father's house left him. I'm hopeful for my kids that somehow, someway, something we do around here, something we do in the house deposits just enough in them that even if they leave the Father's house, that the Father's house can't leave them. There's got to be something that grabs hold of them. There's got to be something that they hold on to somewhere, shape, or form where when they're at the bottom, they're starving, there's nothing else left. They have to remember, I'm not who I used to be. I'm not myself anymore. And the Bible said when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? 
my father's servants are living better than I'm living. The low people on the total, the people that I actually have owned are living better than I'm living. Sin will really, really, really take you to some places that you never thought you could get to. Just a little dab of do you will end up overwhelming life and taking you to a place that blows your mind. You had no idea how, that you could even make it to that place. And then once you get there, you have no idea how you get out. And so it and now it's taking you to a place you never thought you could get to and is keeping you longer than you ever would have dreamed and longer than you could. Your, your mind blown. Sin is a really, really bad thing. That's an understatement. And it's now left him at a place where he's starving and daddy's servants have got leftovers in the house. The refrigerator's stock full and here I am surviving, fighting for survival, fighting for my life, competing with what's overwhelmed me, competing with, with, with the thing that I once hated. So he makes up his mind. He says, I'll rise and I'll go to the Father. I'll say to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. The way we approach the father makes all the difference. I've seen people throughout ministry that say they want a difference in their life. But they never get to the place where they come to their senses and realize they're not worthy to be in the Father's house. They want to approach the Father the same way they walked out the door, and it doesn't work that way. You don't show back up the same way you walked out. He walked out high and mighty with his chest bowed out like I know better than my father. I've got my father's possessions. I'm going on my own way. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to do what I want to do. You don't get to walk back into the father's house the same way you walked out. There has to be a point in time when we humble ourselves down and say, you know what? I'm not even worthy to be a part of this house anymore, daddy. Can you just let me, let me be a servant. Let me be the one to work your field. Let me be the one that I, I will serve you. Until we ever get to the place we're willing to humble down to enter into the Father's house, we might as well stand outside. What's so awesome, though, is he had really had a change of heart. So it says when he got, when he arose and came to his father, this is verse 20. He rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. When he was still a great way off, the father saw him. First of all, I don't care where we are, I don't care where we get to, I don't care how far we've gone. I don't care how far we've messed up. I don't care how bad it's gotten. I don't care that we're laying with the pigs. Our father's still waiting, looking, waiting for us. And when he's hoping just for a glimpse, and he had to have been standing there watching, waiting on him to come back. 
How did he see him at afar off if he won't stand in there in hopes that one day he's going to come back? It's easy for us as Christians, part of the kingdom, to, to look at people outside and say there's no way they could ever come into the kingdom of God. There's no way that God could ever save them. Kanye West is the big, big thing right now. And if you don't know him, you really should check out some of the, the talk and the, the stuff going on with Kanye. He, is a, uh, he was a performer. He did rap. He did R&B, hip-hop. And now has radically gotten saved and produced a Christian album. His life has been turned upside down. You know who's persecuting him? The Christians! Do we want the kingdom of God to grow or do we not want the kingdom of God to grow? I can't question the authenticity of his salvation. Just like you can't question mine and I can't question yours. But I know that the day he decided to stand up and say, you know what? My life is in ruins. I'm laying with the pigs. When he decided to make it to that point, the God that saved me and the same God that saved you was waiting and saw him far off and took off running to him to get to him. I don't care how bad he had been. I don't care how he was a rough, he'd been through some rough life. Stuff that I never have been a part of. But the same father's house that I belong to, he belonged to. And when he changed his heart, when he changed and realized that, that he was no longer himself, when he came to his senses, God turned his heart around. You know what he said? I, I didn't, somebody told me about this interview the other day and they said they were interviewing him, and somebody said, how do you know you're saved? You live this whole life you've lived. Please don't quote me on this, but this is the way that it was told, and I'm on, how do you know you're saved? He said, well, when you're asleep, do you know you're asleep? Not until you wake up. When you wake up and you're now awake and you see, you then realize you were asleep. Right? He said, now that I've seen light, now that I've come out of the darkness, I realize how bad, how dark life really was. That's a profound statement from a guy that the Christian community would want to persecute. So the dad takes off running, and there's a Jewish tradition that I heard about, and we'll fact check this. I heard a, a pastor actually... Talking about this, he said there was a Jewish tradition where when a, a son left the household, when somebody left the household, they went out. The people of the community, the leaders, the elders, we talked about in Ruth, we talked about the city gate, right? You remember that? We talked about how Boaz actually and Ruth, they met at the gate, that's where the, the union took place. It was the gate, the gate of the city, and the elders would take jar clays. And when somebody had left, they wanted to protect that community. When you walked out, you didn't get to come back in. The law said, whenever you leave this place, whenever you go off on your own, you're done. Don't come back. And so the elders would take a, 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 jar, a clay jar, and they would go and they would bust that jar at the gate entrance. And that was a symbol that you no longer were welcome in this place anymore. But see, what happened was when the father saw the son afar off, he ran past the gate. He ran past the religious leaders. He ran past the law. Where the law said he could no longer come back in, the father said, nah, he's going to come back in. He's going to walk back in with me. 
So where, where the law should have kept him out, the father ran past the law and said, no, there's grace for my son's faults. There's grace for this failure. There's forgiveness to be offered. You and I should have had a clay jar bust at the gate for us. We should have never been able to walk back in. But while we were afar off somewhere, the father saw us and he took off running to us and he led us back into the house. And so they show up, they start throwing a party and the old nasty clothes that the son had been wearing while they were with the pigs. He, the, the father said, give him the best robe, put the best robe on him. Here's a golden ring, let him shine, let him sparkle. Here's a ring to let him wear. Go get that fat, that, that, that fat calf that we've been fattening up, that one that we've been, that we've been feeding real good. Go get him, we're going to kill him. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a party. We're going to be happy. And then the older son shows up. The father is celebrating the coming home of the son that left. And the older son shows up. The Bible said he had been out in the woods. Verse 25, now the older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. He heard the celebration taking place. He wanted to know what was going on. Verse 26 says, so he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he's received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And here's where so many of us find ourselves. This, this Christian community that's persecuting Kanye, they're the older brother. Because there's this huge celebration taking place. The Bible says he was angry. He was angry and would not go in. The dude stayed out of his father's house because he's so mad because the father had compassion. We have some really messed up people when we get to the place that we won't be a part of the movement of God because somebody else has joined it. He wouldn't come into the celebration, the festivities. I'm sure that, that cow, that was some good steak. We talked about gut feelings yesterday in a training we were in. The weight of my gut is hibachi steak and shrimp. There was some good, there was some good steak taking place on that fatted calf, and that older brother missed out on what was good. He missed out on a meal from the father because of his selfishness, because he's mad. But, but he, he said, I've been here the whole time. I've been here the whole time. He goes off and blows everything he's got and shows back up, and you give him the world? older brother should have had a double portion according to tradition so in the very beginning when the young and dumb one said hey daddy act like you're dead and split up your possessions the older brother got twice as much as the younger brother do you realize that I sink in for a minute the older brother got twice as much as the younger brother and he's the one ticked off. 
we would love to pick on the prodigal. We love to preach a sermon, how he went off and blowed his life, and I've I feel like I've preached a halfway decent one that he was, he, he's now wallering and dependent on and thriving on the things. He's fighting for survival with the things he wants. Hey, we can preach a sermon on him, but we leave the older one out of the picture. He had double the blessings on his life, but was ticked off because daddy was happy that he showed back up. That's messed up. There's a problem when we don't have enough compassion for people. That when somebody comes home and says, it don't matter what they look like. It don't matter how bad they've hurt us. I'm sure this older brother's ticked off. He's done all the work. You left me high and dry. You took what you had. You should have stayed and made this inheritance even bigger and better. You should have stayed and worked these fields with us. You should have stayed and made sure that the cow was even fatter than it was. You should have been feeding our sheep, but instead you go off and do your own thing. You think you get to walk back in here and all that just gets to be made better? No way. And he failed the whole time to realize he's the one doubly blessed. Contentment. The son's so mad, he tells the father, verse 29. See, this is where we get in this limbo with our testimonies. I used to hate that I wasn't a drug addict that had been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and redeemed. Them guys got a testimony. I used to hate that I wasn't delivered from alcoholism and I want some radical, saved, sanctified guy that had been delivered from alcohol. The guy's got a testimony. And that mindset is shown. He says, he answered to the father, he said, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've transgressed your commandment at every time, and yet you never gave me a young goat. That I make merry with my friends. I've served you my whole life. Everything you've ever asked of me, I've done it. Don't you feel like that's you sometimes when you don't have the testimony of the recovered drug addict and the recovered alcoholic and the person that's lived this whole life as this radical atheist that's now come to Christ? Those of us that have been in church, those of us, that's my dude just described us. He said, I've served you my whole life, and you never give me a goat. When all this kind of comes together for me, I felt, y'all ever seen the show NCIS? You know, Gibbs has the Gibbs slap. You all got to slap somebody in the back of the head, right? I got my Gibbs slap. And I was in one, I was in a discussion, a small group discussion with, some people that I'm in classes with this past week, and I had no idea how God was using all this to pull it together, but the guy had, the instructor, the professor was a guy that had smoked years prior. And he said, God delivered me from smoking. He saved me from that. He asked somebody sitting around the table, he said, you smoke? He said, no, never have. He said, God saved you from that. Whether the action took place or whether it didn't, whether my life was this huge, uh, don't get me wrong, 
you have sin in your life just as much as I did at one point or another before the Father saw us afar off. Whether it was something that everybody else got to see or whether it was something that nobody got to see, we still had issues, right? But the thing that I wasn't exposed to, the thing that didn't consume my life, just means that God saved me from that. No different than the the one that was exposed and God had to deliver and save them from that. But as a discontented person that wants to see the the bigger and the better, and I used to have issues with that. Somebody else's credibility is going to be better because their testimony is stronger. They've been delivered from all this, that, and the other. I was too, just before I ever did it. It's all in perception. It's all in the way we perceive it. The father literally says, he actually says in verse 30, uh, 31, he said, actually, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. It's your young goat that you're saying I never gave you. Ain't even mine to give you in the first place. You've got this issue with me. You're holding this grudge against me because you've been with me. You've done everything I've ever asked. And you say, I've never given you a party and a young goat. It's your young goat. I give you everything you see. You're the one that you only see this issue. You only see this struggle. And because of your perception of the problem, you're no longer content with what I've blessed you with. So you just want more. You're ticked off because somebody else is getting a blessing. Spiritual maturity takes us to a place where we get excited for somebody else to get a blessing. It's not easy and it's not going to happen overnight. But when we ever get to the place where I get really, really excited to see God pour out blessings on you, you get a financial blessing that blesses your life. That is awesome because that means the kingdom of God just got blessed. It has nothing to do with me. It didn't have to come to my pocket. It means that God has just poured out blessings on you. My, my family member might not have made it out and might not have been healed. Yours might have. The family of God got a blessing. That don't mean my situation didn't, didn't stink and it wasn't bad, but there's no reason that I can't be excited for your blessing. When I'm discontent, there is none of that. James said it like this. James chapter 1, verse 17, he said, Every good and perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It means when I sit back and shut up long enough to, to realize everything I have is from the Father. Then I shut up complaining because of what he's not giving me. We're human. I'm not trying to belittle the fact that we don't have a flesh side. We do. I'm trying to push us beyond that and grow us a little bit. When we ever get to the place where we can turn this thing around completely. Why couldn't the older son be grateful? The younger son had everything he wanted. Everything he could have ever dreamed of. Was in the father's house. Sin is fun. Right? You ever sin well, it was fun. 
I mean, really, the Bible even says that sin has pleasure for a season. Right? For a season. That young dude, he had all the fun he wanted for a very short season and then found himself eating with the pigs. What would his life have been like if he had not allowed discontentment to overcome him in the beginning? What would life have been like? I've told you a struggle before. I get something on my mind, and it's really hard to ever get it off. I told you that the Lord blessed me with being able to drive a Jeep, but at one point in time in life, it consumed me. It was a spiritual hindrance of my life, and finally it had to be shut out, and now it's to the point that the Lord's rewarded me with that. It may be for a very short season, I don't know. I'm just telling you that I'm real. And there's been points in my life where discontentment is a struggle. It's not easy. I struggled when I was, I'm young, but when I was younger. Mike and I, when we first got married, we had a small group that would meet at our house. On any given Monday night, we were liable to have, it started with just a select hand few. We were liable to have 35, 40 people filling up our house. We would feed people and everybody have a good time. We have a Bible study, play cornhole, whatever. God blessed it. The guy across the street told us one time that, he said, I don't know what you do on Monday nights, but it's like a radiance glows out of your house. I said, yeah, you should come to church with us. But my struggle with that was everybody in that group was older than I was. I'm the baby. And I still run that race. I love you dearly and I'm grateful for you, but you have the youngest pastor in Eastern North Carolina to my knowledge. I'm still running a race that I'm running with guys that are beyond my years. And in that small group of people, there were... There were couples, that were, there were guys that had big jobs where they were moving on in life. They were buying houses and they were doing this and that and the other. And it really was a struggle for me. Why? I don't know. Because in my father's house, I had everything I could ever need. Mike and I had it, had it made. We were blessed. We lived in a house where we kind of set our own rent. We were blessed, but still, because I looked at what they had, and I looked on the outside of what my household could contain, I wanted more. And in this society, that's the natural, is that we want more, we want more, we want more. The American dream is to never have enough, right? It's a struggle. But what if we twisted our perception and before we ever walk out the door what if we could realize we have everything we ever need and rather than walking out on the Father we'd be grateful for the blessings He's put on us what if 
rather than being ticked off because that son that got on our nerves that left us to do more work walked out on us and left us in this situation? What if, instead of being the older brother that's mad because he's coming back, what if our perception would shift just a little bit and we turn and look on the inside and realize we have a double portion poured out on our life? No. My testimony don't look nothing like some of those other people's. But what God has done for me is completely different than what he's done for them. He did save me from all these different things just like he saved those other people. And when I shift my perception around, that was a mind-blowing moment for me on Tuesday whenever that professor said that. He said he saved you from it just like he saved me. He just had to actually bring me out of it to save me. He saved you the same way. You just never did it. All it takes is shifting perception. The way we look at it changes everything. The content life is not necessarily about being content with all these materialistic things that we have, but being content with the blessings and the goodness of God. That's the thought for today. What does our life look like when we understand the Father would give us anything in the world and He already has? Rather than holding out my hand asking for more, I turn and look inward and count the blessings and have a life of thanksgiving and have a life of gratefulness so that my life can be a life of giving. When I'm not wanting, I give out the wazoo. Sometimes more than I need to. But I've never give to a point that God didn't pour his blessings back out. There have been times when I had no clue how the bills were going to get paid because I had bought too many people's meals. They always do. I can't do that when I'm discontented. When my life is in a life of discontent, I don't bless other people. Because all I have on my mind is what I can do to get what it is that I want. Right? But when I become content with the blessings that are sitting on me and I realize the goodness of God, how much God has already blessed me, that everything I have, my family, my kids, the, the Jeep that I get to drive, the house, the food that I get to eat, the clothes that are on my body, sure, I might have bought them from somewhere. These are, I don't even know where these come from. I've had them so long. But realistically, everything that we have, sure, may have come through our hands in some way, shape, or form. But when we shift the perception and realize that every good and perfect thing, every gift comes from the Father above, then our life is no longer a life of discontent. It's a life of content. And now we get to be thankful and bless somebody else. Right? Would you stand with me, please? It's kind of like this. Today's not family day, so you don't get a special gift, but if today was family day and I said, hey, we're giving everybody fully loaded Corvettes on your way out the door, some of you would complain about it. I'm just saying. I'm going to tell you, we're going to pay the insurance. It's paid for. All you got to do is go get in it and drive it. I'll even give you a gas card. Some of you would still complain about it. Because it's got power windows, and that's just something else that can break. And it's got a sunroof, which are known to leak. 
It's got 755 horsepower, which will take you anywhere you want to go really, really fast. But you're going to complain because you got to put premium gas in it. And God has given us this life where he said, I paid the debt. I've given you grace as your insurance. I've given you a gas card and the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is I put in you. Yet we still sit back and complain and point out all this junk that ain't right with life that God's gave us. want to be discontent about the Corvette that's your business but you're going to be content about God's life that he's given you that's the struggle for me and it's my job somehow some way shape or form to at least deposit something in you you get to choose what you do with it God's calling us to a content life a life where we can bless other people where we can be so thankful consumed with a heart of gratitude for what he's blessed us with We've been given the double portion. But yet we're still complaining because he didn't give us a goat. That sounds silly, but that's the truth. We've been given the kingdom. Anything that we ever could want, we've got it. But we complain because we don't get a goat. I'm standing with you. I'm no better than you are. This is Preach this to me before I preached it to you. This is a real one for me. We enter into this season where it's all about giving thanks and blessing other people. If we don't walk into it with a content mindset and a content heart, it's going to be a long couple months. Father, I love you. God, as I turn my heart and my eyes to look at the way that you've poured out your blessings on me, God, I'm mind blown. Lord, when I sit down and I'm just quiet for a moment and I reflect on the things not that I don't have, not the things that I'm asking you for, God, but I reflect on the things that you've poured out on my life, I can't help but be thankful. God, I'm so thankful that there was a time whenever I was the young son that left you to go waste my life and you saw me off in the distance. You you sent the Holy Spirit to turn my heart, to change my heart, and I realized that I I wasn't myself anymore. God, I realized that I, I came to my senses and you saw me far off and you went running past the law. You give me grace. You give me forgiveness. You give me salvation. God, I thank you for that, that you brought me back into your house. I thank you, God, that you've given me everything that I could ever need, Lord. God, you've given me beyond what we need, Lord. You've blessed us with what we want. You've blessed us with food, not only on the table, but leftovers, Lord. Spiritual blessings, God, that have been poured out on us. I thank you for that. Father, today I pray that you would touch your people, Lord, that you touch our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray you convict us, that you move in us today, God, that we have a change of perception. We have a change of the way we look at our life. 
God, that we realize we've got everything we need. We don't have to go out. We don't have to go on our own. We don't have to be independent. We don't have to go away from the things that we know to get anything any better. God, you've blessed us beyond measure, Lord. In the same way, God, we don't have to look at other people. We don't have to look at the, the other blessings you're pouring out on other people, God, and be discontent with that, Lord. But we can realize you've poured out so, so much on us, Lord. You're calling us to a content life today. A content spiritual life today. God, so that we can have a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of generosity. To bless your people. To grow the kingdom. If you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus or maybe you've been that son that went off on your own. You thought you could do it better. You thought you had it all together. And you're ready for the Lord. You've had a change of heart. You've, had a, you've come to your senses. And you want to come back into the Father's house. If you're here today and that's you, you need to rededicate your life or you don't know Jesus. Nobody looking around. Would you slip up your hand? Praise the Lord. That means that all of us are in the Father's house. So then the question comes, is our life a life of contentment where we've shifted our focus and we realize the blessings God has put poured on our life rather than the blessings that he's yet to give us? I want to ask that you would just pray a prayer for a moment of forgiveness that God would change your perception Father we've heard your word today God you've poured out your blessings on us God I pray you forgive us for the moments of discontentment in our life God the times whenever we've not realized exactly what it is that you've given us God the times we've, we've not stepped back and understood the blessings you've poured on our heart God, the blessings you've put in our life, Father, I pray for forgiveness for those times. God, I pray that you shift our focus, that you change our eyes. God, give us eyes to see the way that you would see. Allow us to see not the things that we don't have, God, but allow us to see the blessings that we do have. Father, shift our hearts today to give us the content life. Father, I pray for your people. I pray that you would bless us. God, you bless the families that are represented here today. God, the families that are connected with this house. God, I pray that you would bless us, Lord, the sickness, the financial struggles, God, the things that are needed, Lord, the blessings, God, that, that we're waiting on, Father. They're already there. The promises are there. They stand, Father. They stand true. God, I pray you shift our perception to see those today. Father, bless us and keep us and bring us back as we enter into this season of thanksgiving and generosity. I love you, Lord. I worship you and I praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.